Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, and of course it's Wednesday, which is always a wicked day around here, and that's because we have the dreaded Michael the Holly. How you doing, Al? (laughs) (laughs) See, it's the Holly because we're matching Jack the Ripper. That is correct, and he's in two feet of snow right now in Buffalo. So Yeah, yeah. You see, you have the same last name as him. So when are you going to come out and tell us instead of writing about, you know, your, yeah. your dog? Well, my middle name is The, so, right. you know, I'm you know, a reincarnated serial killer. No, you're just old. You're that old. You look at <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah, and you're ah. just a month younger than me. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's a very big month. A lot happens in a month. It's not that right. short. <laughs> well, speaking of Wicked and Darkness, We've got a book that we're featuring today called A Seance for Wicked King Death. With us is the author of that book, Coy Hall. So thanks for being here, Coy. Thanks so much for having me. Nice to speak with you, Coy. Thank you. Well, Coy, uh, so this is interesting. So you got this book out. And um, tell us, okay, first of all, just give us a little premise on the book, and then we'll get into some more detail. Yeah, this is a, a... Looking at it as a noir thriller type of story, it's set in 1956. A lot of the stuff that I write is set in the past. A lot of my books are set in the distant past and the 17th century and even uh, back into the Middle Ages. So this is the most modern story I've told in 1956. Um, it's uh, a, a story, though, that is centered on a con artist, a, a person who is a charlatan conducting seances, and he preys upon grieving people. And he was in trouble for that in the 1940s. He was in trouble, and he um, 
on a case of fraud and he went to prison. And when the novel begins, he is out of prison and he wants nothing to do with that old world. But of course, an old colleague comes and pulls him back into this world of parlor tricks and seances and the plot unfolds from there. Is it, so 1956, what do you do to get your head into that? Like myself, when I'm writing stuff right now, I'm covering something in the 60s and the 80s. Quite often I, I go back to old shows. I'm watching old movies, old TV shows. I stay, stay away from modern things. I'm just kind of, I get totally engulfed in these sort of things. What do you do to get your mood there, or do you have to do anything? Well, I, I, I like to read novels from that period, um, people like David Goodis, uh, noir novels in, in that vein in, in the 1950s. But I also like to listen to, to get a fill of dialogue, I list, like to listen to radio programs from the 50s. I'm a big fan of uh, the old, old-time old radio. And so shows like Dragnet and things, that you know, with Jack Webb that began on radio, I, I love, you can really get a feel for dialogue from those in that time, the people and the way people spoke. X minus one is another favorite science fiction anthology from the, the radio show from, from the fifties. But a little bit of everything like that, reading books and watching movies, listening to radio shows, all of that gets me into that headspace. Yeah. I listen to those every night. I'm, you know, Richard Diamond or yes, whatever. I go through all the old ones and I've been listening. I've been doing that for years. Um, I, I just, it just, it's just a great setting it's, it's kind of an interesting way of writing as well it's different than modern writing let's let's talk about your main character here or one of the royce pembroke so who is royce pembroke and what kind of relationship do you find yourself having with with royce Royce is one of my favorite characters i've ever created he is i i, I found him to be just a very layered person. And, and as I told this, this, this is a short novel at 200 pages, but I felt like I really brought out a lot of him, you know, and kind of um, just broad brushstrokes of his past. But as a, as a character, he's someone who was born into wealth, and he is um, someone who experienced having wealth and losing that wealth. He lost it. So he, he comes from this prestigious family in the, in the area of Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, his his grandfather had made a, made a fortune, and so he has this privileged life as a child, and he knows that, and then loses that. Um, it does kind of create this sophistication, though, for Royce, where he he can speak French, for example. He uh, can easily communicate with with the you know the upper echelon when he when he's try when he's when he's trying to scam people he's a very knowledgeable well educated person and yet there's this contrast with him where he uh, really you know by by the 1950s he's fallen on hard times and he lives you know he's essentially in the gutter at the, at that point and struggling mightily so he's got this background to him and it and it Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It really shapes how he sees the world. Um, he is not someone who you necessarily look up to. I don't, I don't think you, I, I even agree with all of the things that Royce does and says and thinks, but I find him, you know, the, this fascinating person. And above all, he's, you know, blessed with this charisma in which he can make people think what he wants them to think. And that serves him well in his uh, con game. And, and so how do you experience him? Do you, do you, do you hear, your characters, or do you see them like a movie, or maybe maybe describe that? Yeah, I I, I hear Royce. I, the the novel's told in first person, so it's it's Royce talking and it's Royce's thoughts, and um, I channeled that. You know, I tried to channel that when I was writing it and think like Royce would think and speak like Royce would speak. Um, as and he again, it, it, being having this background, this sophisticated background, and this you know education informs how he speaks, and yet um, he knows he knows how to deal with different types of people too. So um, I, I certainly hear Royce uh, when when I'm writing that character. You just don't drive when you're hearing these voices, do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the time. Yeah, it, it works for me. So. Hey, people, there you go. People leave me alone. You know, I just always yeah. <laughs> stay off the road. <laughs> Question on him. You know, your protagonist, it sounds like uh, the he's not like perfectly a great person, good person deep down. Or is he? Is he? Uh, and I mean, it sounds like it's a quite a rich character that uh, you have here that um, is, is. Is that what you're trying to do is not have just like this perfect person? Yeah, I don't. I don't think Royce. I don't think anybody would read this book and conclude that Royce is a good person. Um, he is always always looking out for himself. I think what makes him interesting is that he's 
regardless, he's likable. You don't like what he's doing, but you want to like Royce. And I, I, I think of people like that in real life where you, you want them to like you and you want to like them, you know, regardless of their behavior sometimes. And it's this, I, I feel like it's this charisma that carries that off. Right. And something like that, I guess you've kind of really got to get into the head and explain um, why they do the things they do. It, you know, what, if there must be a reasoning to him trying to scam people, for instance, other than just make money. There's something else going on, I would guess. Yeah. Royce is an entitled person. I, th I think that that comes from his background of being born into wealth and never earning wealth. Uh, and he feels he deserves it, and he will, you know, it, he will try to get to that end by by any any possible route. That and and people are in his way. I don't think Royce deeply loves anyone, right? He has shallow feelings to, towards other people, but he he certainly loves himself, and he is always looking out for himself and his own personal gain. Uh, I, one one thing that's that I that I really like playing with with this character was how um, Royce thinks a certain way and speaks in another way, right? He thinks in a certain way and speaks in another way, and I and I was I was influenced by that by the novel in a lonely place, um, in a lonely place where where the character is thinks a certain way and is is is, is extremely violent internally. But is very likable and charismatic, uh, you know, outside. With that, you know, do you have a, a subtext, a meaning underneath the story, besides what's happening in in the main part, besides the entertainment? Let's say, is there some sort of uh, uh, a subtext? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of social commentary about the the 1950s. You know, my my main job is as a historian, is being a, a historian. And I'm very interested in 1950s and all the problems of, of society in that time. And there's a lot of commentary. Uh, Royce is a, a homosexual man in the 1950s, and he's openly gay in the 1950s, which is part of the part of the novel. And that's part, you know, part of how he deals with that and, and what he faces. And I think kind of getting into those layers, regardless of what you know you you feel about Royce as a character getting into those layers um, of society in the 1950s is, is certainly part of the the book and was part of my intention with it. So a question on your the with the I, there must be a lot. Of, you said you were kind of a historian, so do you do like direct research on that specific book you have? Let's say you know you said that you have go back far in history. So do you really do some uh, research first? Before you go into that, yeah, or while you're doing, it? yeah, absolutely. I, I I generally read, you know, nonfiction books about the era which which I'm writing. Histories about the, about that era that I'm writing, uh, always. And I, I try to do that before I write the book and while I'm writing the book because you never know where you'll hit inspiration along the way. I just remember uh, when I was doing one of my fiction novels that my uh, editor said that. Uh, with a, a tad bit of a historical fiction, I mean, even though it's fiction, you better have your facts right because people that love that era will hate it if you have your get the facts wrong. Right? Yeah. So. And and I, I feel that's one of the so with my books, 
I, I do try to keep separate the historian side and the author of, of fiction side. I try to keep those things separate um, because I, do, I don't want things uh, in the book that are anachronistic, and I, especially in language. I, I always try to keep a focus on, on language and, and word usage in, in the time. I don't try to go for a lot of, you know, gimmicky jargon from the time. I, I don't like, I don't lay that on, but, but I do try to keep it true to the time. Um, and, but I think the most important thing is for it to seem real. Fiction needs to seem real because real history is, it doesn't always feel real to people who are maybe not heavily invested in the 1950s. There are things that, you know, might be real, but might not seem real. So my goal always is to make the book seem real rather than necessarily be real right and i guess a, a good advantage to historical fiction is you can create a lot of dialogue with your characters and thought to kind of help tell the story of that time so i think that's important did you do you come up with the character first did you come up with royce first and then put him in the situation or did you have the the story sort of kind of in your mind and you created the character to work in it I actually had a, he, he came out of a short story. Uh, I, I, I wrote a short story called uh, Tibet Has a Book of the Dead 2, T-O-O. And it was about a con man, like on a carnival circuit in the, in the 1940s. And it was a, he was a nameless character in that. But even being a short story and being a nameless character, he had a certain texture to him that I liked. And so I took that character and that became Royce. And I think of that story as part of his background, like he was on the carnival circuit and in the 1940s and doing reading fortunes and things like that. And um, that's how it began. So it began with a short story, but Royce existed before the novel existed. And so what happens to your character, someone like Royce, when the book is over and uh, you're finished and it's published and you're moving on? Do your characters disappear or do they stay with you? Well, they stay with me, and I think that if I write something terminal in a book with a character, I'm always willing to maybe go back and do prequel type of short stories. If I have a really good character that you know I, that I really like, I'm willing to go back before that. So it's it's never the end when I, when I finish. And if it isn't terminal at the end, then I might write an, another novel. And I, I did write another Royce Pembroke novel. It would be out. Uh, this November. Oh, wow. So, um, well, you can always make it a dream if he gets killed, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Sorry. Tacky. Yeah. Well, listen, um, so when you do that, when you started this and you took it from the short story and you sort of created this book, did you know then that you were going to add another book to the series? Do you kind of know ahead of time? Do you outline or is it just completely at will? No, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know how this book would end. Therefore, I didn't have any idea of writing another book with this character. When I, when I first started it, when I first began writing it, it was right at the, I wrote it back in 2020, right when lockdown and COVID had, had began. And I thought, I'm going to write a crime novel. And uh, I had that character and stuff. So I, I did that. And it was going to be a standalone novel at that point. But the way it ended the way the novel ends, I, I feel like there's, there's more more for this character to to do and say. So that there's 
one more novel out of it. That's that's probably going to be the end of the Royce Pembroke novels. I don't I don't like to repeat myself too often. So, will that be the end of uh, your crime novels too, or do you, no, do you continue that? No, I, I I I plan to write more. I like to write a lot of genres, but uh, crimes are one I love to read, and so I'll I'll, I'll definitely return. So when you do something like this and you're writing the book, do you ever think about the reader? I do. And I I think of the readers of different genres, too, as I think that's an important thing. When when you do write in different genres, expectations of readers and maybe tolerance of readers when when you're thinking of, of, of violence and things like that. And that is something that goes into my mind always when I'm, when I'm planning out the book and I'll, but also when I'm editing the book and kind of going over and doing subsequent drafts, I, I think of, you know, are you in this genre reader's mindset? You know, that, that, that's definitely a thought. So you have to be conscious of the amount of violence or how you write violence that say, or, or murder or bad things yeah. uh, in the book itself. Right. Yeah. So vi- violence occurs, but it's always, it, and I guess one of my thinkings with, with crime books is, you know, you're going to show someone being hit, but you're not going to discuss the impact of that hit. Someone was just hit, right? Uh, you it, In other genres, you might describe that impact a little more. So that, it kind of, I guess you pull the camera away. Uh, it, or I, I, I had that thought with, 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 with writing this book. And I did tone it down. You know, I'd written kind of more visceral fighting. There's one particular scene in the book where someone has a sock that's um, full of broken glass, right? A sock full of broken glass, and he's beating someone with a sock of broken glass. And obviously you could describe describe that as much as you wanted, the impact of that. And so I did, you know, think of that when I was editing and kind of edited that part, the impact part down. Does that include language too? That's um, that's something I consider. That's it's the, the language isn't um, particularly bad in the book, so that wasn't something that had to be edited down. But yeah, that, that's something I would consider if I was writing like a cozy mystery, especially. That'd be something I would, you know, be conscious of. But don't you find you have to be a little bit conscious of, let's say, um, the behaviors and the way people treat people in the 50s as compared to us now because a lot of behaviors back then like you know you bring up the homosexual aspect to be gay back in the 50s it was illegal that way you could be arrested um so it's a different sort of time so people might not be as friendly to your character in this situation as they would be let's say today do you know what i mean so do you have to sort of kind of work around it or do you have people that are you know how they were like do you think about that yeah i do think about that and i have people in the book that, who are cruel to him for that the, the one thing i'm i'm um conscious of you can you can portray someone being cruel for differences in the 1950s but not necessarily using the exact language that they would have used in the 50s you can go light on that and still get your point across and that's something i was you know conscious of Right, there's a way to do it. Right, you know, you don't want yeah. to use um, slurs and things like that. So, so it, it, it was, it was, it was a, kind of a, a balancing act to get that cruelty across and yet not, you know, go 
go as far maybe as someone would in the in the 1950s. So now the setting, do you do you detail the setting? Do you write a set, setting in this sort of situation like a character? I do, and the the the, the book goes between Cincinnati, Ohio, and a town, a small town called Huntington, and these are both dirty Ohio River towns, you know, in 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 the nineteen fifties, and that is very much a distinct character and atmosphere and texture in the book. And and when you get into the seances and you're you're t- dealing with a lot of the um, I don't know what you call the paranormal world, sort of in a sense, but of course in a fraudulent way and stuff like that. How do you get into writing about the seances and stuff? Do you do you have kind of a background where you're into the paranormal and that, or is there something that led you into that subject? Or very, very interested as a, as a historian in spiritualism and spiritualism in the 19th century, but also in the 1920s, and that is the the, the texture that I that, that that's what I went after with this. You know the the idea of like the Harry Houdini era, you know, where the, in Houdini's time, the Scientific American asked, they put up this bounty, this reward of whoever could pass their panel of judges and prove that the paranormal exists uh, would get this cash reward. And of course, no one ever claimed it. They tried and they were always uh, proved to be, be fraudulent. And I'm very, very interested in that. And so I, I read a lot on that. And a lot of the details, the character in the book, who's, who's his group is leading the seances, he's an older man, and he was he learned his spiritualism in the 1920s. And so it, it, it has that distinct Houdini-era feel. So Royce is a person that's probably skeptical of that, but still takes advantage of that and then... And then you could work that angle, or what you have right. And he is Royce doesn't believe in any of this. Um, he he knows about it. He's a he's a he's a well-read man, and he has read like Sir Oliver Lodge, um, and he's 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 read um, Arthur Conan Doyle and the, uh, these these like the spiritual pontiffs, you know, of of, of that time when the, what they were writing. And so he knows what to say. He he knows the, the he knows the gospels of that faith, and he uh, can preach it. That doesn't mean he believes it, and he but he uses that. So your character Anna, Anna Vogel. So um, tell us about her. Anna is in the cut from the same cloth as Royce, as far as being having this background as a as a scam artist and. She is. She passes herself off as a medium, right? Person who talks to the spirit world. One contrast with Royce is that she comes from a background of poverty, and she has, you know, she kind of has this awe of 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 Royce's background and this jealousy about Royce's background. And she is where he can talk to, you know, the people he's scamming, upper class people, with ease. For Anna, it's always, she always feels like she's kind of tattooed with her poverty, you know, and, and always this kind of self-conscious feeling about it. And so that, that's a, a contrast with her. How do you how do you get into writing a female character then? Well, I, you know, I one one thing I I always try to do. I, I obvious uh, I, I know my limitations, and when I I will write it without input first. I'll write a, a woman without input first. But I always make certain to have my wife read it 
and I have two sisters, so my, I have my siblings read it, and I tell them to be as critical as possible. And they will say, a, a woman wouldn't think like this, or a woman wouldn't do this in this situation, or a woman would feel this way in this situation. And they give me detailed feedback, and I will do another draft just focusing on female characters in the book based on that feedback. And I do feel that it it fleshes them out and it, and it prevents some of the, the pitfalls that can come from not consulting women when writing women. Right. How much yourself do you think you put into each character? A lot. Um, I, th- I think there's, I, I can't help that. I, my thoughts, my inter- maybe more than anything else, my interests go into the characters. My background, what 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 I know about things, the, the, all those go, all those things go in into the characters. The the books on their shelves are usually like the books on my shelves when I'm descri- describing you know them. So that makes it enjoyable, then. Yeah, I think so. And it's it's also like a time capsule. I think when you when I people read these books, it's kind of it arrests this point in time and it reflects my interests up to that time. And it's an interesting it's an interesting autobiographical piece in that way. So what do you hope uh, when someone picks up the book, takes it home and reads it, what do you hope they, they take away from it? Well, you know, I, I'm very simple about that. I hope they have a good time with it and enjoy it. I, it's written as a as a the, the plot moves fast in it and I, and I and I hope it's uh, kind of grips them and carries them to the end and they they, they enjoy reading it I don't really expect anything else out of anybody other than that there are subtext there is subtext in the book and there, there's I think I feel like richness to the the characters and to the setting and to the talk of spiritualism and and these things but I, I just want people to enjoy the book Enjoy the plot. So uh, now, when did you get into writing? When did when did this start for you, where you decided you were going to write books? Well, back when I was a teenager, I wanted to be I wanted to write screenplays. Well, I actually wanted to write. Talking earlier about radio programs, I I began trying to write like radio programs. You know, these are old old time radio style, and I wrote some scripts there. And then I thought I'm going to write film scripts. But then I learned that I didn't actually enjoy collaborating with other people, which is a big limitation with it, with, <laughs> with those things. And so I thought, um, you don't have to collaborate with anyone. Well, I didn't know this at the time, right? But I thought, you don't have to collaborate with anyone if you just write a novel. There's no budget restrictions. There's nothing there. You get just Your, your imagination is the only limitation, and you don't have to deal with other human beings. And so that that got me into that, and I wrote my first novel when I was 18, and been writing ever since. I read, uh, I, I like Ray Bradbury as an author, and he had a huge collection, like a hundred stories by Ray Bradbury, and he had this great introduction. And in it, he said, the only education you need as a writer is to write one million words. And I took that to heart. So I said, oh, well, I'm going to write a million words out of novels and short stories, and I did that, and haven't looked back. Well, there, there you go. Well, it, but it's it's a it's an interesting business, and it keeps changing because there's a business side to it. So sometimes it's got to be frustrating. And now, I guess, you know, with the uh, Amazon and the ontake of of a lot of self publishing and 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 all of that stuff, it makes it a pretty saturated market. So it, it's 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 a lot harder to work now. I would imagine. 
Yeah, writing is enjoyable, but actually trying to sell a book is not very enjoyable, and it can be frustrating. And the it is a saturated field, and it's hard to have your voice rise above other people. And it's like really a constant battle not to sink. I think uh, when 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 you when you put a book out and in, into the world, and you're always conscious of that. That's not enjoyable. Yeah, no, it's hard. It's hard. Now you've also you write a lot of horror or darker as well, right? And yeah. um, where where do you think that comes from? Well, it's the same the same place. I think that the crime writing comes from, or when I write science fiction, I, I like dark stories. You know, like kind of macabre adventure. At their heart, they're kind of like macabre adventures, and those genres for the for the sake of marketing, you know, I have to say this is a horror novel or this is a crime novel or this is a science fiction novel. But, you know, when I, when I am enjoying stories and trying to conceive stories, they, they, um, there's, there's lines blur. And so I'm always kind of dancing back and forth between genres. But never nonfiction. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, I do write some nonfiction, but, and I, I do plan to write nonfiction histories as well. It's on my, Oh, okay. in, in, in my future, I, I want to try to let, do a little bit of everything. If I like to read it, I want to write it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. And you also, okay, so um, let's say it looks like you do some YouTube work as well. Do you do videos as well for YouTube? The No, I not not generally. I had, um, so the, where, where I teach, the, the library at the college had uh, one that asked me to do something for Halloween. <laughs> and so I, 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 I thought I want to channel my inner Vincent Price and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to, you know, tell a scary story and my best, uh, impersonation of, of Vincent Price. And so I did three of those, the, um, in which I put on my, my bow tie with bats on it and pumpkins and, and sat down and told stories I've, I've done three of those so far so probably more of those to come in the future but that's just with the uh school library and I, I do those and i put them on youtube when it's all finished so what's what's coming next for you then so this book is out now it came out i guess last year i think november right. um what do you what do you got coming up next well i have i have three three projects this year that are releasing in april i'm the first uh fiction anthology that i edited is releasing and it's called Death's Other Kingdom, horror tales of the uh, First World War of World War One, and that will be releasing in April. And proud of that because it's kind of branching off and trying something new with editing and anthology, and that was a fun experience. In June of this year, I have a science fiction novel releasing called Colossus with a Poison Tongue. And then in November, I have another Royce Pembroke novel, crime novel releasing, called The Switchblade Svengali. And it's set in 1968. This one's in 56. That one, this, the next one's 12 years later. So he's old now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Older. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's all good. Now, are you doing social media? Do you do website? Um, where, where do people find you? Do you like interacting with the readers? I do. I love it. Uh, I have a, a basic website, koihall.com, but uh, most of the time I'm on um, Twitter. I'm not going to call it by the other name, but Twitter at uh, Koi, Hall, <laughs> Koi Hall Books and Instagram at Koi Hall Books. 
those are my name, main two social media places, but I'm also on Facebook and Blue Sky and places like that as well. Well, that's interesting. So where do you, where do you think you get influences from besides writers, other writers or movies and stuff? Is there, if there, is there things in your day-to-day life that you think influence some of your writing? Yeah, teaching history more than anything else gives me ideas that, you know, those are the kernels of stories a lot of the times that I think of when I'm telling these stories to, to classes. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that would make a good story. That would make a good novel. Nobody's written anything like that. I, I think if you mine history, I mean, they're, they're never going to have a shortage of ideas. Um, and you write, you know, dark stories, dark, darker fiction, you don't want to have any, you know, limitations about the amount of cruelty in the past or the things that people do to one another or the um, just horrific events, you know, uh, uh, as well that, that, that occur. And that, that, that's always something I look at and say, I want to tell a story about that. Or I want to tell a story set in that time. Right. Right. Having an inter intermittent and, uh, you know, and, and, do you really see it ending? I mean, history keeps writing each day, right? So we keep still doing horrible things to each other. <laughs> Consistent, yes. That's yeah. <laughs> people are people. <laughs> if they're in the 5th century or in they're in the 21st century, people treat people the same way. People do not change in that regard. Yeah, it's kind of endless. The names change, but the uh, but it's, it's kind of the same. Yes. I think it's, it's like cosmetic differences, you know, but it, it's just surface level differences, that it, but, but the motivations stay the same. Yeah, I see a lot of that cycling in today and, and what goes on in, in today's world. And I see a, so, so many of it, it's just a repeat, so much of the same fight, but with different names and yes. kind of a different way of doing it, you know. Yes, and that's that's something that, it's easy to become a pessimist, I think, if, if, if you study history, because it does seem that no matter what, people do the same exact thing. They do the same exact things over and over and over again. It's built in. Yeah, it never ends. Do you ever kill anybody off that you know in your didn't-ask characters <laughs> in your books? I won't get into specifics about that for reasons, but uh, yeah. Well, we wanted some names and phone numbers. After, just hang around after. Yeah. We'll get that ironed out. But, um, <laughs> the, but yes, absolutely, and I take great joy in it. <laughs> That's perfect. We can leave it at that. You know, I I, I hear that once in a while. You know, but. Uh, right. You know, it's all good. Do you think, you know, another thing is, too, you know, when you said you know, during lockdown and stuff, and when you're writing over a situation when things were in lockdown and that kind of stuff was going on, do you think that gets into your writing even if you're not conscious of it? Do you think you could look back at what you wrote over, let's say, COVID days? Yes. And there's going to be something that you notice that's different? I'll tell you what, I cannot keep I, at this point, I can't write any more books that this doesn't. This one does not have this, but any more books that have a plague in them, I can. For some reason, <laughs> it factors into every plot, and I know that's where it's from. Like it's, it's somehow, you know, I've been trying to deal with that, um, deal with that situation and 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 that. But I had the one book um, before this. It's a 17th century novel set in the 17th century, and it's called The Promise of Plague Wolves, and it's about smallpox, you know, in, in 17th century Austria. And 
that that I, I know that that's where that comes from, you know. And I had I'd written this a short story for an anthology called The She Wolf and and Saint Edmund, and it's during, set during the Black Death in the Middle Ages. And I need I need to quit. Yeah, enough is enough, you know. I, it's just funny because I always have the uh, YouTube and I'm running old movies when I'm working, and I and one came on the other day, and it was about uh, I think what's the TB that happens in New York. And, uh, the outbreak and the plague and all this stuff. And then they had all these, this is, they had protesters saying, don't, don't inject the poison. And it was just, right. it yeah. just, it was so today. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I had read, I had read this, uh, book called Pox Americana. And it's just, it's a really interesting, it's a nonfiction book and it's about smallpox, um, epidemic during the American Revolution. So 1775, it breaks out. And they didn't have the uh, smallpox vaccine back then, but they had inoculation, right, where they would intentionally infect you, kind of rub um, like a scab, like they get pus from a scab and give you smallpox that way. And it would give you a milder case, and you you were likely to survive it. And yet, and this is the 1770s, people came out in protest of that, saying you're defying god's will you know by by inoculating and so it it the it was fascinating to me this book was written back in like 2005 i think so it was not influenced by covid and yet the arguments against inoculation were very familiar when i read that wow wow yeah. that's why i was surprised that they they actually yeah they have the same problems they have the same complaints it's just different people yeah, it's, and it's about. incredible it's the same rhetoric i mean if it's the same the argument has the same shape to it and it's it's, a, it's just incredible to me that that is that consistent what's interesting is what's interesting is i am i'm in the family of that type which i'm not but it's but it, it's really millions of people so i just tell them i said listen millions of people humans are wrong regardless of which side is correct right that just doesn't do well for human beings <laughs> right yeah 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 it's it's kind of sad at times it's it is in a way it's depressing that we can't seem to grasp something you know same as i'm watching these things from the 60s and then they have all the moon people on like what's my line you know shows and stuff and they mm -hmm. that's a great place to find dialogue yes and and then they have people that are astronauts and stuff and i'm just thinking when they're sitting on the panel i would i would just think you know do you know in 50 60 years they're going to say you never walked the moon it's all fake yeah you know what would they think i just it's just crazy some of the things that we go through and i just i had i had i was thinking the other day i, I in in a class I, w I was talking about i was focusing on the the the, the 16th century and I, I was trying to make the case that people in the 16th century believed that the world was a sphere and that no one thought the world was flat unless you're a crackpot and the, you know, even the 1500s. And I, and I had, I thought to myself, more people on YouTube today believe that the world is flat than believed it in the 1500s. Yeah. I had Mark Sargent on the show. He's the leader out of Portland, Oregon of the Flat Earth Society and he has 300,000 people that have joined yeah. the Flat Earthers. It's 300,000. No, no shortage of believers, <laughs> yeah. So, hey, you know, things are looking up. 
<laughs> being human things going great. Yeah, we're doing yeah. really well. <laughs> it's, move, yeah. it's moving right along. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, that's fantastic. We're glad you came on the show. But good, good, good little talk. And uh, we'll have your website, your books, everything's going to be up on ours, so people can find it easily. And uh, what can I say? Uh, of course. Uh, you know, it's been it's been a pleasure. And your newest book, of course, is the last book and what we were talking about is A Seance for Wicked King Death. And Coy Hall is the author and guest. Thank you. Well thank you both very much. Nice speaking with you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.